0: Good morning, my name is Justin. I'm the next generation pastor here at HHICC. It's super great to see all of you guys here in the room. It was funny we were joking earlier about seeing an audience like this nowadays. It's like this is awesome, but uh, you know, six months ago this would have been like, what's wrong? Like, you know, what happened? But it's really nice to see all of you guys here in person. We're thankful for those of you that are joining us live online this morning. It's great for me. I always am thankful to get a chance to speak with you guys, um, and so I'm happy to be here. And also thankful for the cool weather outside. I don't know if anybody else is thankful for that this morning. It feels like fall kind of has just arrived all of a sudden, Uh, but I'm thankful for that because, you know, kind of looking back on uh, the summer in 2020 so far, I I don't know about in your 2020, but there haven't necessarily been a lot of bright spots to it. But one of the things that I enjoyed this year uh, that was earlier this year was getting to sit down with my kids and watch uh, as history was made when NASA and SpaceX, you know, launched again from American soil for the last time, or for the first time really in almost 10 years. So you guys remember that, right? That was, uh, that was May 30th. I would have sworn that was like July or August. It just goes to show you, I cannot keep track of time anymore because it, it seems like it was really not that long ago, but it was, it was almost four months ago. And so I had a lot of fun with my kids sitting down, we got to watch that and it was, kind of nostalgic for me. I, uh, as a kid, you know, really enjoyed kind of learning about space and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, when I was about five years old, my family took a trip down to the Orlando area. And so obviously they've got the Kennedy Space Center down there and uh, Cape Canaveral kind of area. And so I remember going on that trip and I mean, we did all the like Orlando stuff, you know, including Disney, but literally the only two things I remember about that trip, for some reason, it's the Space Center and it's getting the bejesus scared out of me on the Jaws ride at the old, you know, at Universal Studios that they used to have. That's the only two things I remember, nothing about Disney. They didn't, uh, didn't do that great of a job, apparently. But I definitely remembered the Space Center and had a, a lot of fun there. So it was neat kind of watching this launch a couple of, or well, four months ago, and kind of seeing how things have changed and, you know, watching it with my kids. And I remember kind of as I was watching it, I started to kind of think a little bit about like, Can you imagine what it would be like to be one of those astronauts, like laying there on your back, I don't know for how long, and thinking like you're on a rocket the size of a building, right? And just all the time that you have to sit there and think about all the things that could go wrong to stop your mission from succeeding. Sounds like a little scary to me, but I imagine that like one of the things that probably gives them confidence in that moment is all of the countless Hours and millions of dollars that are spent thinking through every little thing that could go wrong to stop that mission from happening, right? There is a lot invested in thinking through those things. And you know, last week, Pastor Todd reminded us that we've got our own mission, right? We have a mission from God to make disciples by loving and serving people. And so thankfully that mission is not as technically complicated as sending a rocket into space, but it's every bit as important. It's critically important. And so I think it might be worth it this morning for us to take a little time and to think through what might stop us from carrying out that mission or even what might already be stopping us from carrying that out because the reality is we might be missing out on it, right? There are things that could stop us and slow us down, and we don't wanna miss the opportunity that God has for us to jump in and on mission with him, because there's so much to the life that God calls us to, and we don't wanna miss those opportunities to serve and be on mission with him. We don't wanna get stopped in that, and so Todd talked last week about what does it look like to be willing to serve, and we looked a little bit at Jonah and Isaiah's responses to their own missions from God to serve and we saw Jonah's response of no and Isaiah's yes. And I don't think anybody in here would say, I wanna be like Jonah, right? I don't think anybody's gonna say, oh, God's got a mission for me? Nah, I'm good, right? Pretty much all of us would probably say, we, wanna, we want to be people that are willing to serve. We wanna be on mission with God. We wanna be the people that say yes and that God uses us in incredible ways. We want to be like, here I am, send me. But the reality is, is that somewhere between our understanding of that mission and our good intentions and our excitement to get it done, it kind of falls through. You know, when you kind of look around the church, especially just in America, I think it's pretty easy to see that the church doesn't serve quite like we could. You know, Todd said last week, so many, uh, so much of the time we're known more by what we're against than what we're for or the good that we do. And even individually, especially when I look at my own life, I know I fail and we all fail individually. And it doesn't take long for me to sit and think back to all the homeless people that I passed on the side of the road, right? Or maybe a Saturday afternoon, you know, or repeated Saturday afternoon spent golfing or doing whatever while the Boys and Girls Club is looking for volunteers. Or Sunday mornings that I've come, especially when I haven't been on staff and i have sat in church and been in a rush to get out for brunch or a nap or the next round of golf or whatever it might be, while children's ministry is looking for more volunteers. And so many of us miss out on what God has for us. And I say all those things, again, not to make us feel guilty or shamed, but because I think there's more out there that God wants to invite us into to participate on mission with him. And I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to miss what it looks like to live with God and to be on mission with Him. But our tendency is to justify ourselves and kind of rationalize our current you know, involvement in serving. Right? It's really easy to just look around and be like, ah, you know what, I'm doing a little bit more than them, so I think I'm all right. right? And we have this picture in American life where it kind of just looks like, you know what? We build a nice, comfortable life, we do our careers, and as long as I give, you know, a little bit of money, and I I volunteer occasionally, like, we're in pretty good shape. But the reality is, is that picture of the Christian life comes more from America and kind of comparing each other to ourselves than it does from scripture, because the Bible paints such a bigger and better picture of what it looks like to live a life on service or in service with God, sacrificially sold out, to him, And so I want us to take a look uh, a little bit this morning about what does that look like and what might be stopping us because the reality is that some people, some of us, are getting stopped. Uh, LifeWay put out a survey last year, actually, and 25% of Protestant churchgoers, now that's not, that's not Christians as a whole, that's not all the people in our country that identify as Christian but never show up at church or anything like that, that's, that's us. People that are in church at least once a month, only 25% of Protestant churchgoers strongly agreed that they serve people outside of their church. Only 25% strongly agreed that they intentionally serve people with tangible needs outside of their church. And so there's so many that are missing out on what God invites us into, and I don't want us to be stopped. So I wanna ask a little bit of kind of why are so many missing out? on what God has to offer us and you know I think anytime we look at a question like that we've got our usual suspects right we have uh, the flesh the world you know the devil these different things that try to kind of distract us and pull us off course from what God has for us but I think as we take a look at it this morning we're kind of just going to see that we can be our own worst enemy in this area and so often we stop ourselves from serving and experiencing all that God has for us so Uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can go ahead and turn in Luke chapter 10, or if you've got uh, your phone with you, you can uh, open that up in Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever shared. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to take a look because in the Good Samaritan, we see different people respond to God's opportunity to serve in different ways. And some people don't stop. They don't serve but somebody else does. And I want to take us uh, for us to take a look at that and to see maybe if we can learn some things from it. So if you're in Luke chapter 10, I'll give you some context for the parable. You know, in this situation, Jesus and his disciples are together and a man who, who knows his Bible pretty well, he's an expert in the law, he's essentially a lawyer of the time, comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus uh, and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him and he says, well, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man replies back and he has a pretty good answer. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, you've answered correctly. Now do that and you'll live. And if he'd stopped there, the guy would have been in pretty good shape, but lawyers tend to ask too many questions. And so this guy goes one further and he says, okay, who's my neighbor? And listen to how Jesus responds. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, this, uh, this answer is a little bit interesting in how Jesus handles this parable. Because if you remember, the man's original question back in verse 29 was, who is my neighbor? And I have to think that when the man asked that question, he had kind of an underlying motive. It was, all right, Jesus, look, I know I'm supposed to love people. I know I'm supposed to serve, but like really how far do I have to go with this? Like who actually do I have to love? Do I have to love the poor, the sick, right? The racially or religiously different? Do I have to love those kind of people? And that's kind of what this guy was getting at, right? He didn't want to go the extra mile. He was kind of looking for the bare minimum. And what's interesting is I think in that moment, we might expect Jesus to answer in a way that says, yeah, you've got to love everybody. But Jesus actually doesn't really answer his question like that. You see what's interesting, if, uh, if you've kind of got a little bit of Bible background, then you probably know from either this passage or John chapter four, where there's a story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, that Jews and Samaritans didn't exactly get along very well. There was a lot of hostility between the two groups, or really racial tension basically. And so I think in the story, if Jesus had wanted to make the point, excuse me, that, yeah, you've got to love everybody, even that guy, he would have made the Samaritan the victim. But in the story, the Samaritan's the hero. That's why 2,000 years later, we know what a good Samaritan is. And he makes him the hero. And in doing so, Jesus kind of pulls a little bit of a philosophical Kung Fu on him here, and changes the game. He changes the question, right? The man asked, who is my neighbor? But the way that Jesus answers the question really flips the question to more of a who must be a neighbor. You see, in this particular story, I think jesus it's not that Jesus doesn't wanna tell us that we have to love everybody, but I think in this particular story, it's kind of an assumed, right? We have those other parts about loving your enemies and loving the least of these that, Jesus has kind of made his point, we should love everybody. But what he wants to let this man know is that all of us should be a neighbor. You see, there's no shortage of people to find who need to be served. But sometimes it's hard to find people who are willing to be servants and to be neighbors. And so Jesus tells the story in a way that the most unlikely person that you would think if you were a Jew in his time steps up and he serves. And it makes more of the point that if even that guy steps up and serves, we should be too. We all should be a neighbor. And one of the points that Jesus makes is really subtle. But if you remember, the man's original question before when Jesus launched into all of this was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the way that Jesus tells this parable in the moment equates serving with eternal life in a way that it's not what he says is is not, you must be a neighbor and then after that, that's what gets you eternal life. Being a neighbor is not a rule to follow so that you get eternal life. The way Jesus tells the story is that being a neighbor is experiencing and participating in that abundant life that God has for us. He wants us to jump in and to serve with him. But sometimes we get stopped in that. And in fact, in this parable, we see the priest and the Levite get stopped from experiencing all that God has to offer. And so I want us to look at what stopped them. And is there something that we can learn for us about why we might miss out on the opportunities that are right in front of us and instead walk right on past them? And what might there be for us to see? So we're gonna look at why did the priest and the Levite not stop? You know, what's interesting, I think in this parable in the New Testament, religious leaders get such a bad rap that I think, at least for me, I have this picture of the priest and the Levite as like, these are some pretty crummy guys, right? Like they walk on past this guy who's beaten and injured on the side of the road. And I think a lot of times I have this picture that they kind of walk by with a sneer on their face and like they're they're very high and mighty and, and maybe just you know, not the kind of person I'd wanna hang out with. We kind of assume the worst about them, but I honestly don't know if that's completely fair. I don't know if it's fair. Jesus never actually tells us the reason why they don't stop. But I think there's several possible reasons that maybe explain it a little better than these are just like the worst of the worst kind of guys, right? On one hand, the priest and the Levite served in the temple and it may have been that they were actually trying to be faithful to God's laws. Because when they came across this man on the side of the road who looks half dead, that they might not have known whether he really was alive or not. And unfortunately, there was a law in the Old Testament in Numbers 19 that you couldn't come in contact with a corpse, and if you did, effectively, you had to quarantine for seven days. And it may have been that these guys didn't wanna disrupt their temple service, so they decided, you know what? I'm gonna keep on moving. Or it might have been that as they walked in this remote area between Jerusalem and Jericho and they came across somebody lying on the side of the road who obviously had been attacked that maybe they assumed very logically, well, this guy's still alive. It seems like he must've been beaten recently. What if the robbers are still in the area, right? I don't wanna be a sitting duck here helping this guy if they decide to come back. And so they continue on. Or it could be, and this one is maybe a little less flattering, We know that they served in the temple as a priest and a Levite, but in this particular scenario, they're traveling away from Jerusalem. They're traveling away from the temple. So it might've just been, this was kind of like their weekend. They're off duty. They're hitting the road. They're going out of town. And in the middle of that, it's kind of like, you know what? This isn't my job right now. I'm off duty. I'm out of here. And so maybe one of those reasons explains it, but the reality is we don't really know And I think it's unfair for us to assume the worst because we might see that the reason is a little more relatable. In fact, I think when we really start to look at it, I think there's something pretty easy to see. And I think it's this, right? These are two men that we know had important jobs and they're on the road. They had places to be, they're traveling and they had things to do. And I imagine that in the moment, the most likely reason that they didn't stop might just have been that they were in a hurry. They may have just been in a hurry, but I want you to think about maybe the moments in our lives where we've had opportunities to serve together, and what might have stopped us in that moment? You know, sure, sometimes it might be indifference or prejudice or something. You know, occasionally, I mean, obviously, all of us struggle with different things, and maybe in that moment, we had kind of a you know, an unhealthy or sinister motive in it that kind of clouded our judgment. But the vast majority of the time that I found myself in a moment where I had an opportunity to serve, busyness is the final nail in the coffin. I can think of so many chances that I've had to serve where sure, maybe I thought something along the lines of, uh, I don't know what they're gonna do with the money, right? Or eh, that group, that's just not my thing. I, I don't wanna serve with little kids, Or maybe something along the lines of, you know, uh, they just need to get a job. And I've had moments where I had an opportunity to serve or to step into a need, and I've struggled with tensions like that. But at the end of the day, the thing that so often that stopped me from serving is busyness. I may have struggled with those thoughts, but ultimately what it comes down to, at the end of the day, the justification that I come up with to walk away has so often been, well, I got somewhere to go. I don't have time to think about this anymore. And so I think for so many of us, one of the things that we can see from this is that we don't stop to serve when we're unavailable. We don't stop to serve when we're unavailable, when we haven't made time in our lives to slow down and to see what God places in front of us. So I wanna tell you something kind of interesting. In the 1970s, two Princeton social psychologists, a guy named John Darley, and Dan Batson kind of did a little interesting experiment. They, uh, they did an experiment on some seminary students. So you know, young people that were training to be pastors, ministry leaders, priests, this kind of thing. I'm really glad they didn't do this on me when I was in seminary, but they did this experiment. And what happened is that they asked students to deliver a sermon. They asked students to deliver a sermon on none other than the Good Samaritan. And they set it up so that they took this entire class of students and they were scheduled to meet with their professors for kind of like final preparations before they delivered their message. And so they met with their professors in a classroom on one side of campus, and then they were scheduled to go and deliver the message in kind of like the auditorium on the other side of campus. And so as the group of students kind of met with their professors for final preparations, the professors like in the final moments gave each uh, student a different statement before they went on their way. So for some students, the professor said something along the lines of this, like, uh, ooh, you know what, you're late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago, so go ahead and head on over there um, and try and make it fast because they're waiting on you. And that was what they called the high hurry condition. Another group of students, though, as they wrapped up their preparations, they just said something along the lines of like, you know what, they're ready for you, so go ahead and head on over there. And that was the intermediate hurry condition. And then finally, they took the third group of students. And for those students, as they got ready to head across campus, the professor said something along the lines of, you know, uh, it's going to be a few minutes before they're ready for you, but why don't you go ahead and head on over there? If you end up sitting waiting over there, it won't be that long. And that was the low hurry condition. And so as all of those students made their way from the classroom where they prepared, over to give their final message. They had set it up on campus so that all of them passed by a man in an alleyway that was dressed as kind of like a victim. He was dressed poor and destitute, kind of sitting on the sidewalk. Uh, You know, he was kind of moaning and coughed a couple times and literally they had to walk down an alleyway where this guy was sitting right there. Do you have a guess at how many of those future pastors and ministry leaders stopped to help the man? as they walked to preach on the Good Samaritan, 63% of the students that were given the low hurry condition stopped and helped. That's pretty good. I mean, two-thirds of them, that other third, you know, kind of a little shady, but, you know, two-thirds of them stopped for that one. 45% of the students who were given the intermediate hurry condition stopped to help. But only 10% of the students that were given the high hurry statement, stopped and helped the man as they walked to go and preach about the Good Samaritan. You know what's true is that it doesn't matter how good our intentions are. You can be a seminary student training to be a pastor, walking to preach on the Good Samaritan, but busyness can still distract you. Busyness just, it diminishes our ability and our desire to serve. It robs us of that. We actually experience a, a psychological phenomenon known as a narrowing of the cognitive map. And this, it's this idea that literally as, as we get into a hurry and we get so focused on something that we have to do that everything else in life kind of starts to blur. We get so focused on one area that we miss the details and opportunities in other areas. Even to the point that we miss the opportunities that God has placed right in our path to stop and to serve where he wants us to. So I wanna ask us this morning is what if we were the people that didn't miss the opportunities that God puts right in our path? What if we were the people that said yes to the opportunities that God gives us to serve and we were the people that stepped into the privilege of being on mission with him and experiencing that abundant life that he offers us. You know, it's not easy, if I'm being honest with you guys. It's easy to talk about it really quickly and to say, yeah, sure, we should slow down. We should serve more. But the reality is, is that busyness is in no short supply in our culture, right? It's all over the place. There's so many things that we have to do. In fact, I honestly believe that we probably are uh, more busy as a people and a culture than any other people in the history of the world. There's just there's more opportunities, more things to do, more information coming our way, right? When we think about our schedules, we've got work, we've got kids' sports schedules, we've got you know, social media scrolls or news feeds to scroll through, we've got TV shows to binge, essential oils to sell, you know, workouts to do, all kinds of different things. And there's so many things that compete for our attention and our time, right? And it distracts us. From what's really important. So I want to ask you this morning that even as the culture tells us to hustle and to move and to be fast and be productive, and I don't want to hate on that completely, but we have to ask ourselves, is that the picture of a life with Christ that he really gives to us? And what might be the cost of it? Is it the cost of opportunities to serve? Is it the cost of being involved more with our church family or Maybe even sometimes the cost of our own family, our marriages, because busyness robs us of so much of a focus on what's right. And here's what's true this morning that we've got to realize is that we're more of a help. We're more of a help when we're in less of a hurry. We're more of a help when we're in less of a hurry. And so for many of us this morning, that means we've got to slow down. And that's not easy to say. I can say it really quickly up here, but the reality is, is if we start to look at our involvement in our careers and our schedules, it's not easy to to tone down on some things. But I want to ask you this morning to think about where might you need to slow down or reduce your schedule? Or maybe it looks like this. Maybe instead of that or also with that, It looks like how do we need to open our eyes to see the opportunities that God puts right in our path as we're going through our lives and not miss the opportunities to stop and to serve, right? We don't want to miss those opportunities to leverage the moment that God gives us to experience his abundant life by jumping into mission with him. You know what's so interesting here in Hilton Head is that even in a community with so many retired folks, which not to hate on anybody that's retired, I don't mean to be picking on you, but what's so interesting is that even in retirement, when you would think that you kind of would have all the time in the world to do you know, what you need to do, the reality is is that so many miss out on the opportunities that God gives to dive in to this life with him more. And so I want you guys in just a second to hear a little bit more from somebody who's kind of more in that season. And whereas I think all of us kind of have this picture of kicking back and resting in retirement, I want you to see a little more what it looks like to jump in and serve. So I wanna invite Dion Davis up on stage. Dion is serving as our interim kids ministry director and she's done an amazing job. You guys give a hand for Dion. Um, I cannot tell you guys seriously how thankful I am for Dion and everything that she's done with our kids ministry Dion really served in kids ministry for a good portion of her career, and somehow or another, I, we roped her back in after she retired. And so she has been serving uh, really on a pretty high uh, level, a high level of involvement with us here for most of quarantine. And so, Dion, I just wanted to kind of ask you and have you share with everybody a little bit why why is that? Right? You you're retired, you've got that opportunity to kick back, but somehow or another, you let us drag you back into being really involved. And so. Why, why was that the case for you, and kind of what does that look like a little bit?
1: All right. So when I first retired, I was very excited. I'd been in a church ministry for many years and running pretty much all the time. Um, and uh, so I had an opportunity to retire about five years ago and um, thought, well, that sounds really great, <laughs> you know. And uh, so in the beginning, it was, you know, all right. But then I just didn't feel good. I, I felt like I was taking up space, I was breathing air, and, um, and I wasn't serving anywhere. And I, I knew that God had a bigger purpose for me than just to sit around and watch Netflix and <laughs> make supper for my husband, you know. So I knew that there was, you know, more to that. So um, it just sort of hit me, and I said, I gotta, I've got to get busy doing something where I'm serving. So we were still in Atlanta. And uh, I reached out to an organization called the Drake House. And it was a temporary homeless shelter for women and children. And they said, well, what would you like to do here? And I just said, I'll do anything. So every day I showed up. Sometimes I painted apartments. Sometimes I prayed over the apartments. Sometimes I did office work. I just did whatever they needed. And uh, that, that sort of, you know, drew me back in. And then I came to Hilton Head. And, uh, and we got I her back. Got me back. And I started serving, of course, um, uh, with a Leslie first and then Aunt Andrea in the um, children's area. Yep.
0: Wow. And we're thankful for that. Uh, Dion. I, I don't know about you. Uh, I think if I was in your shoes, to me, it seems like if you've served with kids or kind of in a certain area your whole life, you know, retirement might be a little bit of a natural time to maybe try something different. But obviously you've gotten pulled back into continuing to serve with kids. So talk to me a little bit. Is there a reason why you've come back to kids over and over again or why you have such a heart for that area?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I feel like we have to pour into the next generation. If we just focus on our generation, (laughs) our age, um, that's great. But we also have to know what we're leaving behind. And I, um, I had an experience when I was on a mission trip, actually, with a large youth group from our old church and we went to Manchester England and we were in a very um, you know poor community there and as I went around to the churches I realized there were no children and there was no youth within the the, these old churches and many of the churches had already closed and had been turned into condos or apartments you know and things like that so it was you know being from the Bible Belt that was just kind of odd. And uh, so I asked, I said, where are all the children? You know, where are the youth? And um, they said, well, it skipped a generation. And it skipped a generation over there because uh, they didn't pour into the next generation. It was churches just full of older people. I'm an older person, so I understand that. There were older people in the church, but there was there was no youth. And uh, so I just became very passionate about bringing that message back that We have to continue to make sure that we are serving the next generation, making sure that this next generation and beyond knows, you know, knows the gospel, knows Jesus.
0: Wow, Uh, that's a powerful picture of uh, what it can look like when we don't step into what God has for us. And uh, I'm thankful that you've really chosen to continue to do that, Dion, and thankful for just everything you've done with our kids. So, thank you you so much, Dion. You guys give her a hand. Uh, Appreciate you sharing with us. Oh man, uh, guys, if, uh, if what Dion shared with you, that picture uh, really of what it looks like when we don't pour into the next generation kind of stirs anything up in you, I want to encourage you to maybe explore that a little bit more. And we've tried to make it as easy as possible. If you want to find out some more information about what it might look like for you to invest in the next generation, whether that's kids or students, whatever it looks like, we've got a number that you can text the word next gen too. And that doesn't sign you up. That's not saying, hey, I'm jumping in. I you know, I got, you know, take two hours of my time every week. That's just saying, hey, give me, give me some more information. What might that look like in my life? Is this something that maybe God is putting in your path to check out and to just learn a little bit more about and to see if it might be an opportunity for you to serve? So we would love if you would do that. If you're joining online, you can do that as well. Um, and just explore maybe a little bit of, is this an area that you could make yourself available to serve? But you know, availability really isn't the only thing that stops us from serving. A lot of times, another issue that stops us in our mission to serve is our ability. It's our ability, or at least what we think our ability is. Because here's what's also true is that not only do we not stop to serve when we're unavailable, we don't stop to serve when we think we're unable. You know, so often as somebody who's recruiting people for children's or student's ministry, you know, I'll have conversations with people about, hey, would you be interested in volunteering here? And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten responses, something along the lines of like, ah, uh, you don't want me to do that. I'm too old for that. Or no, I'm not cool enough, you know, to hang out with the middle school or high school students. Or maybe it's something a little more serious along the lines of like, I just don't know the Bible well enough. I don't, I don't think I can teach in those groups or anything or somebody else is gonna do that better than I can do it. But the reality is, guys, that we've got to say yes to something. You see, in those situations, right, there's definitely room for us to find our right fit. And maybe, yeah, you know, certain areas might not be for you, but the reality is that even though we can't say yes to everything, Right? And I don't expect all of us to sign up for kids or students ministry, but the reality is, is where are you serving? Where is your place? Because we may not be able to say yes to everything, but we should be saying yes to something. Right? God calls us to step in and to serve. And so I want to make a point here, guys. Right? I, I talked about there's all these different ways or you can find your fit, but at the end of the day, we need to know that serving by making disciples is not an option Right? There's various ways that we can do that and fulfill it, whether we you know, volunteer to disciple kids or students or we work with adult groups or we're out in the community serving and evangelizing. But at the end of the day, us doing it in some way isn't an option. You know, Matthew 28 gives us the great commission from Jesus and in it, he makes clear that to be a disciple of Jesus is to make disciples. Right, to be a disciple is to make disciples disciples. And nobody, I gotta, you know, I gotta assuage some of your fears, right? Nobody's asking you to come up on stage and speak and teach or anything like that, unless you're Dion, of course, right? I pulled her up here. But I'm not asking you to look at doing things like that. I'm asking you to think about where in your life can you sit down over a cup of coffee with someone? Where can you maybe in your car rider line invest in another mom that needs to hear the gospel You know, where is there an opportunity that you have to put some hours in at the Boys and Girls Club to serve the kids that they've got over there? Or maybe you have the opportunity to come and spend Wednesday nights with us here at the church with middle schoolers and high schoolers that need somebody sitting across from them who's going to listen to them and talk to them and wants to do life with them. Or even maybe on Sunday mornings when we get going again with Island Kids, it's coming and investing in some preschoolers or some, you know, fourth and fifth graders and showing them just doing life with them. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to, you know, be the coolest person in the world. You just have to be willing to stop and to show up and to help out. You know, in our student ministry, we've got uh, something that I call the Timothy Project. All it is is our effort to really invest in the next generation. It's based on the relationship of Paul and Timothy, where Paul really in the New Testament we see kind of takes Timothy under his wing and disciples him and helps him to see what does it look like to live as a Christian and to serve and to make disciples. And so we kind of model what we call the Timothy Project off that relationship where we try to get our adult leaders and our students connected together so that they have somebody who's really kind of taking them under their wing and just doing life with them, telling them you know, what they're struggling with, what the, you know, what's going on in their life, and letting them see how they navigate life with God. And so I want you to hear kind of what that relationship is based on. Uh, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, "'You then, my son,' and this is Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. "'You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus.'" And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, guys, what so many people and especially the next generation needs is someone who will sit across from them week in and week out and entrust the gospel to them. We don't just need people that will give money or volunteer occasionally at big events, which please don't hear me hating on that because I need you to do that too. But right, we need people that are going to invest in the next generation beyond that, that are gonna sit across from students week in and week out and bring their presence Because when we bring our presence to be with people, even if we're not Bible experts or the coolest person around, what happens that is really cool is that because as believers, the Bible says that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that by bringing our presence to be with the next generation, we actually bring his presence with us and we give them an opportunity to meet God through us. And it's an amazing thing, right? That's what God calls us to do, And so I want to dispel a couple of notions about your ability that we might have. You see, number one is when we start to doubt that we're the person that God is calling to step into that situation. When we have those thoughts, we're not old enough, we're not cool enough, we don't you know, know the Bible well enough, well enough. I want to tell you this, it's not about you. It's not about you when it comes to the serving opportunities that God's calling us into, right? It's not about our ability to do what God has called us to do because here's what I know. Ephesians chapter one, verse three says this. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So here's what I can tell you. When you have that doubt that you're not sure that you're the person for it or you're not sure you've got what it takes to do what God's calling you to do, I can tell you this. You've got a God who said, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing you need. And so we have no spiritual excuse to not be able because it's not about us being able, it's about him being able. And as we step into the things that God has placed in our path, God will equip us. And he's already said, he's given us the blessings that we need. So whatever we need, it's right there. We've just got to trust him. And trust me, there's gonna be opportunities to do it because here's what else I can tell you this morning is that, Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what I can tell you this morning is that I don't know exactly where God may be calling you to serve, but I know he's calling you somewhere. Because as Ephesians 2 says, he's prepared the works for us, and he's given us every spiritual blessing we need to do it but we gotta step out and we just have to trust him that that's true. And we've gotta just not not just know that he's given us that, but really believe it because here's the thing. We're more of a help when we know we've got help. We're more of a help when we know we've got help. It's not on us to be cool or knowledgeable or whatever other category you could come up with. It's on him and he's gonna help us. We just have to believe it. So as we get ready to wrap up this morning, I wanna leave you with a couple questions. I'm gonna ask you to take some time, not just this morning, but throughout this week to think about. Number one is this, it's practically, where might God be calling you to slow down and serve? Is it possible that God might be calling you to maybe back off the career ambitions a little bit? to maybe slow down on the kid's sports schedule a little bit and to make some space so that as God places opportunities in your path to jump in to that mission and that abundant life that you've got the capacity to do it and you can make yourself available to stop and to serve. The second question is this. It's, you know, as as we're kind of running through all of that and we have those doubts that come up about, ah, someone else can do it. Maybe I'm not the person for that of where might you need to up your trust in God? Where might you need to increase your trust in God's help to step up and serve? Where might you need to trust in God's help to step up and to get out of your comfort zone, to grow, to get on this wild ride of life, of serving with God and to see what he's gonna do and to trust that he's gonna step up and he's gonna help you do it? You see, there is a huge need for help in our community. There's a huge need for help in our community, here in our church, on our island, and in the world. But we've gotta be people that are willing to take the time to see what God puts in our path and to stop and serve. And so this morning, God's inviting us into that, not just for their good out there, but for our good too. We just gotta slow down and step up to serve with him. So would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you so much just for everything that you do, Lord. Thank you that you love us so much. God, thank you that you love the world so much and you are desperately trying to lead us into abundant life with you, God. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be willing to be workers. God, I pray that you would help us to say yes, Father. I pray you'd help us to make us Uh, to slow down and to be available to what you might have in front of us. God, and I pray you would help us to trust in you for our ability to do what you call us to do. Lord, that you won't hang us out to dry. You won't ask us to do something that you're not gonna be there to do with us and to help us and to equip us and to grow us as we do it, Lord. So would you right in this place be stirring in the hearts and minds, whether we're here in person or watching online. God, I pray that we would all be stirred to look and say, if maybe we're not serving right now because we're too busy or because we don't think we're the person for that, God, would you help us to see how much we're missing of abundant life with you and how much more you wanna offer us of a closer relationship with you when we do that? So God, would you challenge us? Would you stir us? Would you make the opportunities in our path apparent? Would you open our eyes to them and help us to stop, help us to slow down, help us to step up, God, into what, you've placed before us. So, Lord, we love you. I pray just next week as we go out to serve, Father, that you would do amazing things through this church, but not just on that day, but throughout all the time in our community, God. Help us to be a place where we're known as servants and people that say yes. And, Lord, in all of it, will we lift your name up high? Will we make you known? Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.